0: You know, Magenta, when all else fails, I've always been able to make an appeal to a beautiful woman. Women relate to Ric Flair. They understand me because they see the greatness in me. And right now, I am walking that fine line. I'm in political exile. I'm caught up in Ric Flair's own world. Hogan wants me. Savage wants me. Sting wants me. Brock wants me. The whole world wants Ric Flair. But I'm on the outside right now looking in. I'm looking good, though, aren't I? Don't answer Don't get too excited. Don't give him too much right now, Magenta. You see, they don't understand what this is all about. This is about Ric Flair, the greatest of all time. I've styled and I've profiled. I've walked that aisle. I've danced all night. I've been Ric Flair all around the world. Eleven time. I've been the greatest of all time. This is paid for by Ric Flair. So watch it. That's why he looks- I am Ric Flair. That's why I'm the greatest. But now, Magenta, we're going to show him Tough We're going to show him the, the fierce competitor. We're going to show him the heart of a lion. We're going to show him the greatest of all time. Lock it up. Tie it up. Put the figure. Hogan, I'm bigger than you, aren't I? Aren't I, Magenta? I'm bigger than Hogan. Look at me, Hulk. Whoa! Woo! It's so hot, I'm sure, Magenta, that if I hadn't paid for it, you'd have paid for it. Someone out there would have paid for it. It's about the life and time of the greatest of all. Did you hear it? It's not Jet Magenta! It's that kiss stealing, wheeling, dealing, limousine riding, son of a gun, coming out me again. And you know what, Magenta? I'm going to show you how I beat them all over the years with the figure four. Watch this, Magenta! It's coming up right now. The nature boy. Woo! I'm going to give you one last trick. Everybody out there, 10 reasons why WCW should be fair to Ric Flair number ten the figure four leg lock i made it a household name number nine without me everyone thinks alex Wright can dance can you imagine that agenda number eight i'm living up to my end of the bargain i haven't wrestled since october number seven because i just might buy the company and fire everyone number six i'm still in everyone's mind just listen to hogan and savage Number five, women are going crazy. Look what happened to Savages Uncensored. A half-crazed woman came out of the stand and beat him up. Number four, if I'm not in WCW, what are they gonna do? Close down Space Mountain? <laughs> Number three, the whole world's going through flare withdrawal. Number two, I'm a kid stealing, wheeling, dealing, limousine riding, jet flying, son of a gun. And the number one reason WCW should be fair to Florida woo
1: Hello, my name is Bob Bammer and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We're going back in the time to December of 1995 for volume five of this month's show. In order, it's WCW, WWF, ECW, UFC. Those are your four main volumes. This is volume five, which is the end of year review and volume six is going to be the end of year awards. We did this combined last year and the taping took about three hours. So we split them up. Um, this is a conglomerate of shows. You will, you will probably put two and two together and work out, you know, and be joined by Stuart Brooks and Wayne. Let's go for this part, and then it's Craig and Chris for part two, and then it's Chris for, for part three. You're, you'll work out we're taking these at the end of, of each of the main segments, but it, it means, means sa- saves me finding an extra date to take this show. Um, we will start by discussing WCW Monday Nitro. Um, Stuart, uh, Eric Bischoff set out to make Nitro unpredictable. I would say in many ways he did, and I would say in a few ways he didn't, but Nitro on the whole has been a massive positive.
2: Yeah, I mean it's it, it's breathed life into Monday Night Wrestling. Raw, <sighs>
1: it had become somewhat stale. Um, I think the... Raw's been not, start start W show discussing Raw. I think Raw's been quite good this year, as I mentioned in, in the second bit of this. I, I think Raw's been one of the few posters for WWF.
2: It, it's probably been better than it was in 1994, but uh, I I just don't think it's been exciting viewing for the most part. They've, they've certainly made more of an effort in the second half of the year to make it so, but I think Nitro, for, from its outset, from, from the minute you got a Brian Pillman-Jushin Liger match to the moment Lex Luger wandered out to the Scott Norton debut to the confrontation at the end, you know, while it's not always good, Nitro, while it's not always sensible, it's exciting.
3: What? Why? Yeah, no, I totally agree. It's uh, just the, you know, the, the, the life feel that it gives you, um, and, and the fact that it's, uh, it, it you know, it feels more, more, it's got more adult feel to it, you know, where, the big boys are, etc. Um, yeah, I really, I really like it. Like I said, it's, with Luger coming out, it's, it's got that must-see, uh, about it. And, um, you know, I, I, I think it, um, compared to 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 raw is um not polar opposite but it's um you know a lot different in that sense you' got big matches and um it's fast paced and yeah i i, I think it's uh, it's been a really good success
1: yeah, I mean, uh, I can and will in a minute throw over to some of the, the negatives of Nitro, but, you know, we may not discuss those for a little bit longer than we do the positives, so I do want to underline that I would say Nitro, for for every every negative, I would say, has had four positives. Uh, maybe, that's a, maybe that's a bit too specific on the numbers point, but you get the kind of thing I'm trying to get across. And There are some things I'm being picky about, and we'll do that in a sec, but they've done so many good things. It's such a... It's never boring. I think that's 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 the consensus. Is that it is always a very interesting show, and I think that is almost Eric Bischoff's modus modus operandi. It's he did Hogan and Sting on about two weeks' notice with hardly any build because he wanted to draw a rating, and he. Barely did. They beat Raw by, you know, 2.5 to 2.3. It was hardly a, hardly a big victory. Um but in terms of the innovation of how they put the shows together, the constant, you compare this to WCW Saturday Night from a year ago. It's like night and day. You know, the constantly moving elements of this show. Um you know, there's, there's a lot of things to be qualms about, but it's like, it's incredibly watchable. But Stuart, there's, there's also the flip side of this, which is, it's already getting a bit formulaic, and I wonder with the attitude of "we'll throw out big matches in the main events, but we won't pay them off." I wonder if people are going to start going, "Well, you know, you're, you're giving us Hogan and Sting, you're giving us Flair and Savage, but you're not going to pay it off. So what's the point?" Like, I wonder if I wonder if they're going to regret this long term.
2: Yeah, that that is the very real danger in the. Yeah, if if you if you set a precedent that none of these main events and I'm struggling to think of one Oh that I, has it's had... very,
1: very possible that every single main event on Nitro this year is ending a screwy fish. I, I may have pointed maybe one. Maybe. Yeah,
2: if, if, if every single one of them is going to go to a Dungeon of Doom running or a Horseman running or or something to that effect, then yes, very quickly people will get the idea that, yes, you can give me Hogan versus Sting after two weeks, but why should I care? Because it, it it's just going to boil down to the same angle with Hogan fending people off with a chair.
1: Wayne, I, I think it's fair to say that they've caught Raw on the hop, haven't they? They've really... Not only surprised them once, they've surprised them multiple times. We can we can query some of their methods, but it's it could have gone far worse.
3: Oh yeah, not they really could. It could have you know they could have really fallen flat on the face with it. But uh, I think they've 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 um, planned it right, even though you know there's been a lot of swapping and changing and 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 some of the decisions is. Uh, you know debatable but um yeah no i i, I think you know vince back there and, and and wwf as a whole will probably be looking at it and thinking you know these guys are uh are actually doing something and and, and we need to look at what we're doing
1: yeah and i think yeah before before we move on i think the final thing to say is is that i i think as Stuart touched on it's it's boosted wrestling. Like if if we can add up ratings, like you know, Raw was topping out at high threes before Nitro came along. Um, you know Jarrett and Jarrett and Undertaker and Diesel and Bama, I think both did a a three point nine rating show in April and May. And you add up the ratings of Nitro and Raw, and we're getting mid to high fours. And it's like. You know, I think clearly Raw's being affected to a point. Clearly some of of the people that were watching Raw are now watching Nitro, but more people are watching wrestling. And it's more interesting. Stuart, very quickly, I think it's fair to say that the presence of Nitro has certainly uplifted what, what Raw are doing in return
2: yeah and and i think especially with you know stuff like the medusa angle on the 18th of december episode vince i think will start responding soon
1: yeah yeah i think the, the short michaels collapse was the first of vince hopefully firing back and it'll be fun to watch i mean that they, they, they might be both like you know undercutting themselves by throwing out all these angles but in the short term it's it's not going to be boring um Let's move on. Hulk Hogan's dark side turn, Wayne. We didn't discuss it last month, so let's perhaps not, you know, a bit like with Diesel on the WF part, perhaps I'll not label the point, but I think perhaps a wider context of something's changed about Hulk Hogan this year. He's starting to get booed in a lot of cities, particularly now he's being exposed more online television in a wider variety of crowds. You know, perhaps when it was just pay-per-views, Hogan could pick and choose his spots and go... Yeah, I'm not gonna go, I'm not gonna do Charlotte. You know, I'm not gonna pick arenas where I may get booed. With live nitros, with Hogan being on them much more frequently, he can't hide behind that anymore, and it's starting to show in the reactions, Wayne.
3: Yeah, no, that's, that's, that's indeed it to, uh, to do something for 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 quite a while with his character, and he said if he's if he's going around and uh, um, and and obviously he's getting the reception he's getting, then you know they, they've obviously got to uh, to do something about it. And um, the decision to give him that kind of uh, darker edge to uh, to to his character has uh, uh, has has gone really well in my eyes. Um, it's uh, it's it's not what you're used to. Uh, it's it's got a fresher feel. He's got he's got a vengeful uh, feel to him, and um, you know I think it's something that shot in the arm that they've needed to do with that character, especially with, with the reception he has been getting.
1: Yeah, well, you say all that, but he, he's red and yellow again now.
3: Well, yeah, well. Uh,
1: by the time a lot of people listen to this, he might already be their champion again.
3: Well, yeah, true, true. So i I, apologies, I thought we were just talking about the the the, the darker side. No, <laughs>
1: yeah,
3: maybe they were just testing the waters, and and I mean, well, the, there was there was no probably about it. They, they they were testing the waters with it, seeing seeing what seeing what they could uh, make out of it, and you know, we'll we'll just have to you know see if, if 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 they try it again. But with the with the fact that they've just gone back, you know, it, it, some people might look at it as a wasted effort, but um, they, they had to test it somehow.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, it's it, it's a fair discussion point anyway. about you know, even if it's just an experiment that they 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 kind of flipped on it. It's still a, it's still an observation. Sure, what, what what do you think of the whole affair?
2: Well, Hulk Hogan in a Phantom of the Opera mask waving a sword around is different. I I, uh, I, I don't think there's any argument there. Yeah, I agree with Wayne in that it, it very much felt like a. Will you go for it? But it's whether he's willing to go for it rather than whether the audience is willing to go for it ultimately, I think.
1: But I mean, I, you know, uh, difficult to, you know, prognosis going forward, but it's, if it is more live nitros in, in more cities like this, like, I don't know what they're gonna do. Like, of all the guys at the top of the roster, Stuart, you've got Sting, Savage and, and Flair and, and Perversity. You almost feel like Savage is the guy he might be most likely to get cheers out of on the basis of they recognise Flair and Savage more. These crowds are more likely to cheer Hogan's opponent than Hogan. It's not a not a great outlook.
2: No, it's. I I, I think we've reached the end of it, in all honesty. I think, you know, once the World War Three angle happened with him him going back to the red and the yellow, I I think he's turned his back on that now. I think he's gone, no, this is not what I want to do. This is not what I want to do going forward. So, uh, yeah, I I think it would will be written off as one of those things that was just an ill-advised couple of months.
1: Yeah, fascinating to see if they put Hogan on top, how he deals with it, if it does become more of an issue, because it might. Um, I don't know how long they can hold off doing Hogan and Sting. In all honesty, I don't know how much longer they can do it. I mean, maybe they can try, maybe they can, they can, you know, book Sting, how WWF booked Bret Hart for the majority of this year, but who knows. Um, right, sure, let's, let's move on to one of your favourite topics, the Dungeon of Doom. what, what, what <laughs> talk us through this
2: so wonderfully wonderfully bad like this whole thing was uh, similar to the similar to the hogan dark side angle it's it's one of those things where you know you, you 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 think how did this get made how how did everybody involved agree to this how did you film those vignettes and those segments and think yeah this is gold let's put it on air like i mean ultimately it all served to sort of build. The Giant, which I, I think you could have picked a, any number of ways to bring him in as, the, you know, this sort of young seven foot tall athlete. But but they chose hands down the most bizarre way possible and and, and in a very perverse way. It's been hilarious to watch it play out on screen. You know, the, the segments with Kevin Sullivan running through the forest in his underpants. <laughs> you that, know, when you just stop and describe it. Yeah, that is a real thing that WCW showed on television. <laughs> yeah, how, how how did anything anyone think that was that was brilliant? Like, you know, he goes in and he's not sure about whether he can beat Hulkamania, and then all of a sudden he gets a brand new tracksuit and a bit a bit a bit of paint on his forehead, and he's fully fully on board with it. It is brilliant. What?
3: I think it was a massive failure. I mean, it was it was more of a case of um, we've got a lot of Hogan's friends. We've already got the three fists of fear. What shall we do with uh, um, getting getting Jimmy out, turning him heel? We'll just put them all together and make a stable. Um, that's what it just felt like. Um, you know, I've, I've I've said it a few times now when I discussed it. If you want to build a stable in the WCW to go after Hogan, um, you, you get. Monsters in there. Yeah, they did. They did with the giant, and then later on they've uh, they've brought Meng in there. But that's what it should have been from the start. I I can understand Kevin Sullivan being in there, and, and. you know that 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 wouldn't probably uh, be, be bad in my eyes, but you know we've got all these guys who have just got brand new gimmicks. Avalanche turning into Shark and Butcher turning into Zodiac and and Jimmy Ehart in there as well. It just you know none of it goes for me, and uh, um I just thought they could have done something a, a lot better with with a stable like that.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, you know, it, it almost even more on the the basis that we did Hogan against Sullivan avalanche and butcher we did that program we know it sucks so why do it again and then package it in this it's almost like they watched hogan you know flounder with with sullivan butcher and 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 shark or sorry avalanche and they went you know why this didn't work it wasn't wacky enough that's, that's like, that's the logic here, is that they, they sat down and went, why did this program not work as well as we'd like? Well, because it wasn't out there enough, so they made it ten times more out there. And I think the thing, I think the, the telling sign is that this didn't appear on, this didn't appear on Nitro. I don't think there's been a single Dungeon Dude saying, alright, well, they've been on TV quite a lot, and they did the thing with, um with the Yeti, god, we, we don't have time to mention him, but they, <laughs> they, they, they did that on Nitro as well, did that kind of tease. But I think it, it, it's fairly telling that we haven't had any Dungeon and Dune segments live on Nitro. And I think part of that might be they just want Nitro to feel live and always to feel on it. And so any big, long pre tape might feel jarring with that kind of aim and objective. Fair enough. Um, but yeah, like I... You 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 spoke about the giant. The giant would have worked in a hundred different ways. If he'd have just walked out in the at the end of a Hulk Hogan match in July, and stood in the ring against Hogan, that would like that's it. Like you don't need to do a lot else. Like the giant selling point is that he's tall. It's not that he's with a group of guys. I get it. To, uh, I, I, I sort of get the thing though, where they may have gone, well, he can't really talk, and to be honest, his promos aren't that bad, he can't really wrestle, to be honest, his wrestling money ain't that bad. Like, it's almost like they underestimated the guy playing the giant, in that they thought, shit, we need to protect him. And, like, it, 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 I don't know, it's... It's all been a way of almost, it's a bit like the Million Dollar Corporation, the WWF, let's hoover up a load of guys that we don't think can hack it individually, and we'll try and give them a purpose. I I, I just don't, yeah, it's just really bad, Um, maybe it's because I've been watching less of WCW Saturday Night, but it feels like we're moving away from it slightly. And at least it's more, they're the Dungeon of Doom by name, they're not the Dungeon of Doom by nature. That kind of feels a bit more like it now, that they're, they're, they're a faction like any other faction. They're just called the Dungeon of Doom, and they are a group of guys. Maybe if the focal points are Lex Luger and the Giant, then, you know, maybe it works. But I, I, I don't think we need to see the rest. You know, we look at Starcade, look at the first three, four matches of Starcade, or well, five, I think you need to get to Guerrero. That's the future. Like, the future isn't trying to get, you know, Ed Leslie relevant in 1996, 10 years after the fact. The future isn't trying to get, you know, Avalanche relevant in in 1996, you know, eight or nine years after the fact. To a degree, the future isn't trying to keep Hulk Hogan relevant. I know he's up there, but it's like, an eye on the future, we saw it at Starcade. I just don't know whether they've got Hulk... They're so in deep with Hulk Hogan, I don't know whether they can... Um, pivot out of that Um, on my list of things to talk about Wayne I've got best and worst pay-per-views of 95 Uh, that list is very much longer on the worst category I think it's safe to say
3: yes by by a large amount what Uh, what
1: sticks out on the worst side for you
3: uh, Bash at the Beach I think that was probably one of the worst Um, obviously Halloween Havoc has got to be up there but because it was so wacky and and out there, it's it's memorable um, in that sense. So um, I think Bash of the Beach is just forgettable. Just, Uncensored? Um...
1: That's a different show and a half. That I mean, that's that's a bit like it's it's so out there. It's not it, it's immensely watchable. Stuart, I think that's fair to say about Uncensored as well as Halloween, haven't?
2: <sighs> Uncensored was an a, an odd show. I think yeah. Halloween Havoc had that sort of so bad it's interesting thing going on. I mean, you had the stuff with Flair and and Sting, which was fantastic, but the rest of it was just so bizarre. You had to watch it, whereas something like Bash at the Beach or an In Your House 4 was just dull.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um Slamboree, I think, is is another one. Wait, I don't think you were on that show. Um, but Slamboree was another one that was down there. And and when we go back in January, the first show you did with us, that that Clash of the Champions show. I mean, I you know, the, that that may be excused from the worst show of the year or, or, or on the basis it was free. I mean, it's it's an awful show. And and we talk about Hulk Hogan and politics, like Hogan popping up from Vader's power bomb is right up there with the worst things this year.
3: Yeah. um, That and um, coming alive from um, Randy Savage's elbow drop when he's unconscious. Oh, God. (laughs) That was brilliant. The the, the (laughs)
1: healing powers of the Savage elbow drop. (laughs) Yeah, Um, But no, uh, on the flip side of that, is that I, I think while no show has been... Consistently good, I think that's fair to say. There have been, I think, in the last six months, if seven, if you want to, if you want to include the Great American Bash show, there have been a lot of really good individual matches, and Stuart from guys that you may not necessarily expect. Looking at guys like Brian Pillman, like Johnny B. Bad, who've been kind, of, Alex Wright is another guy thrown out in. In, in situations where it's like, yeah, we've got more important things to worry about. And guys like that have delivered, and they've they've really done a lot to boost the enjoyment of some of these shows.
2: I, I think another name you need to chuck in there as well is, is DDP. I think he's yeah. he's come on leaps and bounds this year, and, you know, uh, Pillman maybe I'd expect a bit more from, but certainly the other three, yeah, Johnny V, Bad Alex Wright and DDP, have, have certainly, when given time and opportunity have have delivered and it's, it's almost like they've flown under the radar like you say like WCW got more things to worry about but we'll just stick these guys in in the opener and give them x amount of time and in odd circumstances it's been Lots of time, and 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 they've gone out there and, and they've made the most of it.
1: Yeah, the uh, the Johnny Bad Brian Pillman match at Full Brawl that goes about twenty eight minutes, which is an absolute riot. Um, that was just a, a great story. That you know in the in the aftermath of firing Steve Austin, they, they they sent Pillman and Bad out there as guys that they grouped together with Austin and went. Yeah, Austin says he could have hung in a twenty eight minute opener. we Will we'll show him that was impossible. That that backfired. Um, but wait, yeah, I I think. If you look hard enough, there's some really good stuff in WCW pay-per-views in 1995. I mean, uh, yeah, and, and, and the one guy that constantly delivers, he's getting on a bit, but it's Ric Flair. He's like clockwork.
3: Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, obviously, just to go back to the other guys that you've mentioned... You know why all the storyline attention goes on the likes of Hogan and all his friends, and, and the main eventers like that. You know, they, they, apart from Johnny B. Bad and DDP, they're not really getting the um, the other guys are not really getting any storylines. But they're putting on all these classic matches. But is another one. You know, he's uh, uh, he's, he's probably had a mixed year. Um, obviously coming back from from retirement, and then uh, um, you know, obviously you know being faced for for the best part. And you know, we had that absolute riot of a match of uh, Halloween Havoc with, uh, with with Sting, um, and then you know the reformation of, of the Four Horsemen, which is uh, you know a, a, a big plus.
1: And why I like, I think the the, prog- the prospects in 1996 it, it depends how you define positive because one of the big things that one of the big after effects of the of the, the, the introduction of Nitro was that they recognised, well, we need to we need to expand our roster base. Unfortunately, Hulk Hogan seems to be running out of friends because Eric Bischoff went out and thought, oh, maybe, maybe we need to pick up some of the best guys from you know Japan, the likes of Guerrero, and Malenko, and uh, and Benoit, and. You know, I, I don't know that we've seen a classic Eddie Guerrero match. Certainly nothing to the level of what we saw with him and Malenko at ECW. I don't think we've seen a classic Chris Benoit match yet. But, 1996 offers a lot more opportunity, a lot more time. If Nitro's gonna start running longer, there's gonna be opportunities for these guys, and we hope. And Wayne, there is great reasons to be positive with some of the guys they've got on board now.
3: Oh, yeah, definitely. I mean, you know, the fact that. All we've been seeing these guys is, is just on TV. Um, you know, have they been given as much time as, 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 as what they would have been given in like ECW? I don't think so. Um, so maybe that has got something to do with it. But the fact that, you know, we've seen Benoit and, uh, and, and Guerrero on, on, on the last pay-per-view. And, uh, you know, if, if we're going to be seeing more of them on, on pay-per-views, then, you know, then that can only be a good thing. And, you know, the fact that you, you're right, you know, Bischoff is, is not looking at Hogan's friends probably because they're not available or maybe, you know, hopefully he's, he's finally seen the lie. Um, and, uh, you know, he's going for, you know, other guys. Um, you know, we, we we I know we saw Sabu at a short stint, but he's looking at all these guys. Maybe he was testing the water with, um, you know, with the uh, guys from New Japan. Well, you know, from what we've seen on... Um, uh, Starcade, and also from from what we mentioned before about Public Enemy, you know, he's, he's, he's bolstering that roster. He's, he's he's making it fresh. He's he's making it bigger, and he, he, you know, hopefully we'll we'll only get you know bigger feuds and and, and longer matches off the back of it. Stuart, sure.
2: I, I, th- I think they've just found a slot on Nitro for those guys in the this, in the same way that they found this main event slot, and they shove all their main eventers into that. They have realized that actually you can carry a good. 10, 15, sometimes 20 minutes of Nitro with a match, you know, between a combination of about six guys, be it Benoit, Guerrero, Malenko, Pillman, JL, Alex Wright, and, and you you know, any combination of kind of those guys, you can stick out there, and and there is a market for it, and there is a fan base for it, you know. (laughs) There are going to be people who tune in to see Hogan and Savage and Flair and Sting, but there are also going to be people who tune in to see Benoit, Malenko and Guerrero.
1: Yeah, creating a variety show, I think, is is probably the best way of um, describing it. Um, finally, uh, Stuart, prognosis for nineteen ninety six. We'll stick to the top end of the roster because I don't want to go too long. Um, I think it's gonna be fascinating to see where they go. I, uh, if 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 the first nitro of the year is is Flair dropping the title the Hogan, I think that's gonna turn a lot of people off. And you know, Stuart, I think there's only so they they can't they can't keep running away from Hogan and Sting, I, I just think it's a, like it or not, I don't know, where, unless you just want to bury Sting to the point where he can no longer draw, I don't know how else they get out of it.
2: Yeah, I, I think the prognosis for 1996 is the Hulk Hogan show year three, um, unless something rapid changes in terms of he decides not to stick around midway through the year or whatever, but I, I can't see them doing Hogan's Sting anytime soon because I just think, you know, if you put yourself in Hulk Hogan's shoes and in Hulk Hogan's mindset, I, I just think that is something he does want to run from in that he knows Sting is more popular than him on, 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 on live events. And, and, and probably if you were to aggregate, you know, fan reactions across all cities, Sting would probably turn out on top. So I, I think... It wouldn't surprise me to see them turn savage at some point in the new year. In the, you know, Hogan babyface Hogan versus heel Savage has drawn in the WWF, you know, five six years ago. So it it wouldn't. I would be shocked to see Sting Hogan before we see Savage Hogan.
3: Yeah. Why? Yeah. I mean, we've we just touched on the, you know, on under, the undercard midcard guys. Uh, you know, that's that's really. Really something to be excited about, but main event, I think the main event that we've seen, uh, for the, for the 95, um, is probably what we're gonna see for 96, um, with a couple of turns, like you said, probably, probably Savage being one of them. We're still unsure what's happening with Luke, uh, maybe Fleur's gonna go flip-flop it again. Um, so I'm, you know, I think that's how it's gonna be, and, main event, I'm, I'm not as excited as, as obviously what is, is beneath it.
1: And that will wrap up the first uh, part of this episode of the show. I like that, Wayne. let Thank you very much, Wayne.
3: Thanks very much, Bob.
1: Uh, Wayne, where can we find you on Twitter?
3: You can always find me on uh, on WayneL84.
1: And Stuart Brooks.
3: Thank you very much, Bob.
1: Uh, Stuart, your your New Generation podcast, tell us about that.
2: Yep, New Gen podcast on Twitter. We review WWF pay-per-views 93 to 98. We're about to start 1997 in the new year. Hopefully, uh, we'll have plenty of people join us for that.
4: WrestleMania, two weeks away, April the 2nd, Sunday night, and it's you, obviously preparing to defend the World Wrestling Federation Championship against Shawn Michaels, perhaps like you have never prepared before watching these game films.
5: Yeah, you know, I mean, I'm, I am in the in the edit studio here at Titan, at Titan Sports, but you're wrong. You see, I've, i have your pardon. You'll see, I've got my radar here. I'm in direct contact with Kennedy Airport, and what I'm actually doing. To hold on a second. Yeah, flight 43, Big Daddy. Yeah, yeah. You're gonna have to be in a holding pattern. We got a 619er coming in westbound Continental. How are you on the macadamia nuts? All I'm sorry.
4: Busy man. Didn't mean to interrupt you uh, landing the planes at Kennedy, but on a more serious note now, back obviously watching the game films of Shawn Michaels, let's take you back, if we may. Let's take you back to Monday Night Raw. On the very night you're defending the World Wrestling Federation Championship against Double J, Shawn Michaels introduces his new
5: bodyguard. How'd you feel? Psycho Sid. How did I feel? I was shocked. Uh, I can't say amazed because... You know, you can expect the unexpected with Shawn Michaels. Just when you think you have all the answers, Shawn goes out and changes the questions. And, uh, you know, feather in Shawn's cap. He's done it again. Indeed. And we'll get back
4: to Psycho, said, as you made reference to a little bit later. Let's talk about Shawn Michaels, the athlete. Is there anyone in the World Wrestling Federation that has any greater dexterity, any greater quickness, any greater agility than Shawn Michaels?
5: I think, you know, that Bret Hart, as far as a technician, a technical wrestler, I think Bret can match anyone. As, as far as pure athleticism, quickness, leaping ability, all the intangibles, I think Sean's, you know, he's unparalleled. There's some, everybody's good in this, in the, in the, in the World Wrestling Federation, but uh, I think Sean stands alone.
4: Sean Michaels, is, as we're sitting here with the British Bulldog, and take a look at this. Oof. Now, caught in midair, that is a dimension that Sid brings, psycho Sid, call it what you will, brings to to the match that, that no one else could do. I mean, you have to worry about, yes, the athleticism of Shawn Michaels, right. and you also have to worry about what's on the outside, the intimidating factor. Is Sid
5: intimidating to you? As an anthropology student, it's always amazing to see that the Peking man is actually still alive. <laughs> um, I mean, yeah, in all honesty, he's, he's an impressive, impressive man. I Jeez, he's... He's he's the closest thing physically in the the World Wrestling Federation, I think, to me, that that, that it can be. He actually looks a little bigger, doesn't he? Uh,
4: I I don't know about that. Um, Nonetheless, WrestleMania, the entire sports entertainment world, will focus on your match with Shawn Michaels. I think it's safe to say that Michaels and his new bodyguard, Sid, would stoop to depths the likes of which maybe you have not even uh, thought of
5: without a doubt he's not there for any other reason than to make sure that I don't walk out of there with my belt plain and simple Wrestlemania 11 Shawn Michaels it's, it's an all out assault against Big Daddy I, you know the guy's got a problem i want to see if he can you know control this ego. This, this egomaniac can control this psycho over here this is gonna be a, a, a nice little sidebar to the action as far as I'm concerned because
4: I don't know the question is what are you gonna do
5: to defend the title whatever it takes I guarantee you that I mean, they they want to come in and have a war. I'll go tell it. I can take a pounding. I think I showed in in the Royal Rumble that I can take a beating like anybody else can. And I can certainly dish him out. And, uh, he's been running his mouth. He wants some of me. Hey, fine. And if old jut Joe over there wants a little piece, too, yeah, you can have some also.
4: Well, best of luck to you in several weeks. And, uh, I think, uh... I think flight number forty-seven is about ready to. Uh, are they cleared yet? I don't know. Let me check.
5: I like to keep the U.S. airplates up there as long as possible.
1: And we move on to the middle third of this end of year review. I'm being joined by Chris White and Craig Wilson. Um, me and Craig, along with Kieran, did a massively long discussion about Diesel last month. It's it's a massive part of this year, but there's no put. You know, we've got half an hour to talk about WWF as, as a whole, um, and there's no point in us. You know, if we were doing this as a standalone show, this would be 20 minutes on diesel and then 10 minutes of us squeezing in other topics. Because we've done a ton on diesel last year, uh, last month, sorry. Uh, Chris, your, your brief thoughts on diesel, um, it just uh, overall on, on the year. It, it, yeah, go ahead. Well,
6: I mean, having listened to last month's show for all the big be- diesel chat, I pretty much echo what Roy- you three said back then he was the probably one of the more misused people on this roster within the WWF this year. And he was their champion. They sort of the the, the corporate watered down version of Diesel, adding that to the combination of opponents he had throughout the year was always sort of doomed from the offset i think looking at it on paper you could have probably told you that and kieran last month echoed a few times like "Is no one sitting there thinking like is no one telling vince like look this is a terrible idea this is a really terrible idea pairing these two people together we shouldn't do it we need to change things and it just didn't happen um luckily now we've moved into december you can see the sort of beginnings of a new character for diesel so Moving into uh, 1996, things look rather more promising for him than they did at the turn of the year last year, that's for sure, but certainly a very poor uh, 1995 overall for Diesel.
1: Yeah, I'm almost disappointed that it's, it's gone so well in the last five weeks in that that tells me that someone knew the formula, whether it was Vince or not, and yet they were only able to pull the trigger after he'd lost the title. Um, I think you could have, Yeah, again, this is the last month. You could have, you could have achieved a lot of it with a heel turn, X, Y, Z. Um, but, yeah, just disappointment that he's dropped the title and, and in a weird kind of way, he's now really good again. And it's like, yeah, you could have, you could and should have leveraged and harnessed this at any point in the last year and you might have been able to save it. Um, Craig, we'll, we'll move on just to talk about the roster at large. I mean, I, I looked down a list of names and with with one exception... I think I don't know that anybody ends 1995 stronger than when they started. Admittedly, of the guys that are left, there's been a, a lot, of big turnover of names in WF this year. But if you look at the top quarter of the roster, so many guys' stocks have, uh, have dropped.
7: Uh, yeah, no, I totally agree with that. Uh, some of the some of their better guys, you think people like Bret Hart that they could have relied on when when the going really was tough, ended up just stuck in mind numbingly boring feuds with Jerry Lawler and various of his charges. You had just really I mean you go back to the the start of the year, the, the Million Dollar Man's uh, uh, Million Dollar Corporation, is that what it's called? Yeah. It's just a, a just a group full of losers. uh and I mean if that's like your top heel faction, you're going to struggle. Yeah you, you had a champion that was Fine, but I mean, numbers didn't do much for him, and as we've discussed, uh, he's looking a little bit better now. But yeah, it's just it's difficult not to look back on 1995 and just be uh, thoroughly disappointed with everything that's uh, the offing. Yeah,
1: I mean, you look at you know Bret Hart is is, is the class, well, there's a lot of them. Bret, Bret's a great example in terms of a, a guy that. You know, even while he wasn't champion, it was always going to be difficult while Diesel was a face. And in many ways, you might say, well, you know, they had to put him in, you know, second from the top programs. But it's like, there was nothing stopping you, Finding a good heel opponent for Brett and, and having him headline one of the In Your House shows and giving Diesel a month off. I know it's, it's, you know, un-WAF-like, but we're in a new era with this, this, this monthly pay-per-views. We're going to discuss that in a minute. And, you know, they did, a lot of these In Your House shows didn't feature Undertaker. They only, only featured one of Brett or Short. You know, the, the big issue they had was that they were drastically short of heels all year long. And so they were struggling to find, all their own fault, obviously. It's not like they had a big long list of injuries. They were struggling to find guys for Diesel. As a result, they didn't have a lot for Brett either. And it's like, if you'd had a much stronger heel roster, you would have had more for Diesel to do and you would have had some more interesting things for Brett to do. But, you know, you look at Undertaker, who just got put with big opponent after big opponent. There's this, there's this feeling Undertaker is one of the most popular guys they've got we look at those news stories this month Undertaker wrestling Bret Hart at house shows in the main event in December getting cheered, Bret getting booed That's there aren't many guys that would be able to get that kind of reaction against Bret, I mean I know Bret's Canadian but it's not like Undertaker's Mr. America Um, you know and Undertaker's been put with R. S. with Mabel, with Karma all these incredibly disappointing feuds uh, you look at Razor Ramon, I, you know, I, I think they, I think they're missing the boat with Razor Ramone. I said, I said it on, on the main show we recorded earlier. Razor, like, in a parallel universe, Razor is facing Bret Hart in the main event of this show. If he hasn't been steaming up as one of the big heels in the last six months of 1995, he is wasted as a babyface, and it's, it, yeah. Um, uh, Chris, I- I- I've got more to rant on, but to give myself a break, uh, ch- chip in. Well, he- he- I
6: have to, obviously 1995 has been a terrible year for a, n- a number of guys in terms of their the value decreasing and the way they've been booked and the opponents they've had. But it- on the horizon, I think for a lot of guys, people like Undertaker and people like Brett, although they've had a poor 1995 and it's damaged them, I think we can look into 1996 with a lot of hope in that Brett is now the champion, and if he's on a collision course with Shawn Michaels, then that is something that I'm interested in seeing. Undertaker, again, he's had had struggles this year with his opponents and whatnot, and what he's been able to get out of them is absolutely no detriment to uh, the Undertaker himself, but In terms of the matches it produced, it's been terrible. But again, he's now the number one contender for the title moving into 1996. So as bad as the year has been, and again, the perfect example is this, is what I've already spoken about, would be Diesel. He's had a a terrible year with this sort of watered-down corporate-style Diesel champion. But now with the sort of character tweak, he's moving into the year, and I'm interested in his character. I'm interested to see what they do with him. So although they've had bad years and they're in slightly worse positions, I think they're beginning to build a platform that they can improve on it. But as we spoke about in the WWF volume of this month's show, whether they succeed in doing that or whether they fail is is another thing. But generally, I think there is a slight reason to have a bit of hope with a number of the people
1: they've struggled with this year. But Chris, isn't there something to say that the outlook for 1996 is positive in spite of what they've done to these characters. You know, does it say more for how good Bret Hart and Undertaker are that they can survive this level of punishment, come out the other side and still be able to draw? And, Chris, a a, a second part, is, has Diesel sustained too much damage? Uh, I mean, with Diesel, I think
6: it's slightly salvageable in that I... Personally, really, ha- I really like the character he's using at the moment. I really enjoyed his performance at In Your House 5 that we reviewed. Uh, I, I like I like the promo he's cutting. I like the aggression. He, he feels cool again. And for him to be able to get that aura back so quickly for me does suggest that he is going to be able to overcome the damage they caused him throughout the year. I think they sort of, that, that show we spoke about as well, the, uh, December 25th Raw, that also helps, that, it helps move that character development along in terms of their explanation. While it didn't quite match reality, it explained how they begin to shift away so quickly. And I think people do want Diesel to succeed in terms of fans. I think he's fairly popular when, and this character will be a popular character. So for Diesel, I think, It is salvageable, but they have to nail it. This would be the last chance. Um, For people like Undertaker and Brett, it probably does just speak volumes about how good they really are, that they can survive a year of horrendous booking and still look onto the horizon with 1996 seeming quite good. And it probably speaks volumes about like the optimism I may have for 1996 just because they've started to turn it around ever so slightly in terms of These big-name players look to be in better positions than they were for much of the year. And knowing how good they are, I have to have some sort of hope that they will hit a few home runs. They can't get all of them wrong. They can't miss the boat again on Diesel, Taker and Brett through 1996, surely. Well,
1: well, they they can't, but I I think it's impossible they could do as badly, uh, unless you were trying uh, it, it, such as so many missteps they've made. But yeah, I mean, I, I could go on about the roster. You know, Bam Bam Bigelow's the name we've spoken about before. WrestleMania Headliner. Drink that in. I mean, he's, he's basically disappeared now. I don't know what happened, but like, from, from WrestleMania Headliner to a massively ill-advised babyface set and then nothing. Suddenly they pushed him as a face and then just worked out they didn't have any room for him. He just, just died a death. He was, he was in enhancement talent for British Bulldog in the summer and then he was losing the gold dust in just a highly unmotivated match. Shane Douglas came in as... You know, I, I don't want to overplay Douglas in that I think he's certainly got a lot of limitations and I don't know... I don't think Douglas was the answer to many of the questions many of the problems have had this year but it's like... He came as a guy who, on his day, could cut a promo probably better than anyone they've got. And they gave him a gimmick that was shit. They gave him a gimmick that was... It was... Yeah, you know, it was a horrible teacher gimmick with a horrible outfit and they told him to cut really un-Shane Douglas like promos. It was, yeah, you know, we talk about ECW, yeah, you know, being able to really accentuate positives as a guy. It's just the opposite. Like, you know, it was Shane Douglas got there and cut really monotone promos in front of a blackboard. Oh, and then go out and we'll, we'll let you rely on wrestling in, in, in really mundane views. Douglas is a great wrestler, but he, he could have taught people into the building. And then, yeah, where do you start on some of these characters i mean we we could do an hour on just the the random list of names that came in you know mantar and avatar and uh god knows who else just all these guys that came in were just horrendous gimmicks that were just never well, douglas is another one really i mean douglas is a bit more high profile because he came from ecw um that got lumbered with these just Awful gimmicks. Henry O. Godwin, not that I think he's a great performer and the Hogpen match was probably the height of his year that we covered, uh, in the WWF volume this month. But just, so many missteps. Um and, you know, Mabel, uh, you know, again, we, we talk about a, a roster misused. We talk about the, the, the guys they didn't push, the guys they pushed. Mabel and Sid, that was it. Mabel, <laughs> Sid, that, that's the, that's the extent of it. Like, yeah, really. I mean, nobody else was really pushed this year. I mean, Diesel, Diesel I I Diesel's in the main event, I don't think he's was ever pushed much in that they never really gave him a lot, and you look at some of the other guys there is one exception that will we'll come to ensure Michaels, but it's it it's a Taylor Woe and, and, and Craig it's a Taylor Woe no more better felt than on, on pay per view.
7: Yeah, no no you're right. Uh, it's it's difficult not to feel sort of just so meh about looking at things, you're like, oh God, why is he getting a push? And it sort of just translates into absolute uh, uh, apathetic views on some of the shows. I mean, God, I'm just sitting looking at the at the Royal Rumble card from the start of this year, and geez oh, you've got Jarrett t- given twenty minutes to take on Razor Rabone and winning the title.
1: That was a good uh, match.
7: That was a good match. Yeah, yeah but it's Jeff Jarrett, isn't it? Oh. Uh Taker versus Orwin Ashiester. What a waste of of the Taker there. Good WF title match. And Then you've got Bob Holly and the one two three kid winning the tag titles against the team of Tatanka and Bam Bam. It just seems so thrown together. I appreciate like Bam Bam and uh, Tatanka were in that the stable together, but you know it's just it, nothing seems to have any sort of long term aspirations. It's just well that so one did of... you set up
1: Bam Bam and Lawrence Taylor. Yeah, uh huh. Although but, anything could have set up Bam Bam and Lawrence Tony. it didn't have to be that. But yeah, that that yeah that was uh, we'll give him a pass on that one.
7: Yeah, but I mean you just look at some of the guys that ran the Rumble, some of the, I mean the tag team tournament for, for uh, to win the vacant title. The Bushwhackers were brought back for that. You're like, geez, oh, is this? It's 1995. You look through the the the, the Rumble. That has to be probably the most jobber Rumble. 've had
1: I don't know give it 96 oh, <laughs> you know if, if we've got Brett and Undertaker tied up in the main event diesel's gonna be in it Sean's gonna be in it I don't know who else like you know like there's, there's not a lot left there's there's gonna be there's gonna be about a dozen guys that we're gonna be going Fucking hell! I think next month. That's that's my impression. Is that there's just going to be a list of names where it's like, yish. This this is the barrel we're scraping to fill out thirty men. I think there's justification for making it a twenty man rumble. I know that's that's not what they do, but if they they're going to go back to an hour, they're going to go back to an hour with a a roster on a part if not slightly weaker, unless they can pull a few rabbits out of the hat, like we were discussed on the WS show this month. I don't know, Craig. Talk to me about WrestleMania. Um, in the annals of WrestleMania, in terms of buy rate, it was one of the worst they've ever done. And in terms of the show itself, it was even even going in, it wasn't great. But I'd say it was disappointed.
7: Yeah, it was really bad. When when you when you think that one of the, the better matches was uh, Lawrence Taylor versus Bam Bam. It sort of says it all. It, it just didn't feel like a WrestleMania. It didn't, it, it almost didn't look like a WrestleMania. It didn't just, it just didn't look, and, and I mean, visual wise at the show, it just didn't seem to stand out from a normal, normal event. It just, it seemed very flat. I think that's just sort of in keeping with 1995 as a whole, but yeah, I mean, you you look at the cards the Allied Powers against the Blue Brothers, Razor Jarrett again. Taker versus King Kong Bundy, a guy that's not been relevant for what, twenty years. Uh Owen and Yoko versus Smoking Guns was quite good. Uh and I liked a bit about Yoko coming back. But then Bret Hart and Bob Backlund and just a boring I quit match in the wrong man winning the world title match. It was just yeah, it's a bad, bad WrestleMania.
1: And then we move on to the the monthly In Your House shows. Um they promised a shorter time frame. They promised a lower price tag. And they also delivered probably proportionally as bad a show as, as the main longer pay-per-views were. You know, I think, um, you know, with uh, each match, seemed to have, each show seemed to have one great match other than In Your House 4, which was going to have Shawn Michaels and Shane Douglas, which I I, Dean Douglas, which I, I think would have been quite good. Uh, and then Shawn got attacked and that didn't happen. But uh, Craig, your thoughts on the In Your House run?
7: Uh, it's just it it didn't seem like the right time to launch it there's nothing they're not really firing on all cylinders uh, creatively and now the the creative department have to come up with more to satisfy more TV time despite a piss poor roster and guys that have just got garbage gimmicks I mean the the idea makes sense from a business uh, standpoint but the company just don't have the right talent at the moment to to really pull it off as well as they could
1: Talk to me about King of the Ring
7: I think the only people that'll really enjoy King of the Ring is if you're a massive fan of Mabel or you want to see lots of Savio Vega matches in one night otherwise you're probably really struggling to get into this show Uh, the fact that the fact that the, the the King of the Ring final wasn't the main event just doesn't doesn't sit right with me in the same way that if a Royal Rumble isn't a match that finishes the Royal Rumble event. Uh, but yeah, it didn't, it didn't happen like
1: that last year either, did it?
7: Yeah, because it was what
1: Lawler and Piper.
7: Yes, yeah, as, as the WWF crash into the new generation, they have Jerry Lawler taking <laughs> on Roddy, 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 Roddy Piper. Uh, yeah, uh, no, King of the Ring was abysmal as well. Uh, I mean. Shawn Michaels and Cam are going to a draw, really? But it, why not just have Shawn Michaels win that? So then on the back of winning the Rumble, he wins King of the Ring, then, then just make him champion and 1995 ends and everyone's quite happy.
1: Just literally do everything different and it probably would have been better. Like it just, couldn't
7: have been any worse.
1: No, no, it really couldn't. And I think that's, you know, I, I think In Your House 4 was probably a worse show. In that shorter. it was probably more boring. But I don't know that there's a better single event that properly encapsulates just where WF went wrong this year than King of the Ring in having resources and not using them correctly. Um, But Chris, there, there is one hope. Shawn Michaels this year has... I won't say undoubtedly because, you know, Eddie Guerrero and Chris Benoit are going to have some claim on this. But I think Shawn Michaels this year has stepped out into the best wrestler in North America right now. And I, I think he's the great hope for this company in that if they can get him fit, if they can stop him being attacked, and if they can get him on television regularly and with the title, Anything is possible.
6: Yeah, I mean, he's, he is that beacon of hope, as you say, moving into this next year. And with the Rumble coming up, having him, won, him having won it last year, you have a, there's not many guys you could see winning it yet this year. If, if Brett's got the belt, you're not looking at Diesel winning it really—you can't see that being a WrestleMania match. They, they,
1: they could do that, but yeah, I mean, uh, barring a, a massive change of direction and Vader being available, I'd say it's Sean or Diesel. Yeah, so
6: he's he's
1: he's
6: probably the favorite. I, 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 for me, I'd say so. Slightly over Diesel, having him him and Bret faced each other so recently. You,
1: you, you would need a another really good match if you were going to do Bret Hart Diesel four at WrestleMania.
6: Yes. So moving into 1996, if he does win the Rumble, they have to pull the trigger on putting the belt on him this time. They can't repeat. That's that's an opportunity to make up for the mistake of having Diesel win that match at WrestleMania. As Craig said, the, the, the wrong guy won that title match at WrestleMania, and considering the card and what else happened on the night, it didn't help the overall show. And this year they have a real opportunity, and you can imagine Sean and Brett If that is the title match at WrestleMania, we'd put on one hell of a match and to crown that new champion would be a massive step in the right direction for the WWF. It would just, you'd have the top of the card sorted. It's just everything below it. But I think Shawn, as your champion, buys you a lot more time to sort the rest of it out rather than a struggling diesel. So moving into 1996, if that's the route they go,
7: it's a massive positive. Craig? Yeah, Uh I, I am actually generally quite optimistic going into 1996. And a lot to do with just how sort of much enthusiasm has been kicked out if you've been watching WWF programming by throughout 1995. But things are, there, there are things changing, like shows become a little bit more edgy, a bit of violence just seems slightly intriguing there's hope that they might get get it right, there's hope that they might get other things right, there's talk of guys coming in for the rumble who knows what might happen there you've got Diesel being interesting again Bret Hart is champion so I mean at least you've got someone you can depend on in the ring if not ratings wise and we've got Shawn Michaels coming back and yeah hopefully they do pull the trigger uh, it'd have been a feel good moment of the uh, WrestleMania 11, if it happened, but uh the if they do it at WrestleMania 12, then it'll still be a, a good moment for everyone.
1: Yeah, I mean they're they're hamming it up with Sean at the moment but I just think he's a he's a star in the making I, in terms of in ring ability. I don't know that there's anyone better right now. Um You know, you look at his match with Jeff Jarrett was a sterling effort, and you know, we as we discussed at the time, let's not te- let's not just out let's not Ignored Jarrett's role in that match. He he was effective, um, and, and he did his job and he he held up his end of the match. But Sean was the star in that match, um, you know him against Razor at SummerSlam was another really sterling match, um, and you know there's there's the possibilities there are endless. But again, it's they've got a booking right. The fortunate thing is is that because Shawn is smaller, the Shawn Michaels one can get a as I say, look, I I. I I'm desperate not to see Shawn Michaels against Mabel in any kind of money match. But in a sandbox, box, I would be inclined... I would be interested to see what kind of match Michaels could get out of someone like Mabel. E.g. Shawn up against anyone should be able to have entertaining and compelling, depending on who it is, to one degree or another, main event matches next year. They've got a pay-per-view every month, so there's plenty of opportunity for plenty of different guys. Um... And, and the outlook for Michaels is good. And as we alluded to on this show, as we alluded to at the end of the, the WF volume that we recorded earlier, uh, the action, for, for everything that went wrong, <clears throat> for everything that's gone wrong, for all the chopping and changing in the undercard, for all the misbooking of Diesel, misbooking of Undertaker, you know what? We go into 1996 with a quartet of Diesel, Undertaker, Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart on top. They're all baby faces, but they're all in quite strong spots. What they've got to do, and they are making progress with this, with the, the, you know, the potential acquisition of someone like Cactus Jack, the potential acquisition of someone like Vader, potentially someone like Steve Austin, he's got a way to go in terms of they'd have to build him up, but they could get him into that role. And then you look at someone like Razor Ramon, who is dying for a heel turn, I know they just turned kid, it would, it would be great, but I, I, I'd, I'd give them a pass. If they can line up, those eight at the top with, you know, guys that they've already got like Sid, like Bulldog, um, like Yokozuna, Ahmed Johnson's the guy we haven't mentioned who in that December 25th raw, one thing we didn't discuss on the show was that they kind of ran through the contenders of the title and outside of the four of Brett, uh, take a Diesel and Shaw, and The three names they mentioned were Razor, Yokozuna, and Ahmed Johnson. Ahmed Johnson's the guy who, for all their misgivings, like somebody somewhere decided we're going to go with a guy, and so far they've done it. There's no gimmick, there's no character really. It's just we're going to take a big dude, and you know, it, it can only be positive if they can get a black star over. Let's you know, let's 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 move into some slightly you know touchy areas in terms of WWE's lack of you know black main eventer if they can get an african-american over that can only help them as well um the outlook is kind of positive but it yeah you know, i talk about acquisitions and i talk about guys where they are for all the misgivings the roster they had this year wasn't that bad and even then like they got about 40 percent out of it and it's like, you can improve the roster in 96, but guess what? If you don't want to get the most out of Cactus Jack, you can get little out of Cactus Jack if you want to do that. He can turn shit into, you know, chicken salad, but, you know, he's not a miracle worker. If you don't give him the free reign ECW gave him the cutlass promos, who knows? Um, Vader is a guy that should sell himself, but then again, so is Undertaker, and as we've shown, if you put him with the wrong opponents, it don't work. Um but, the outlook is positive. I think that that's what we can say. In terms of other positives, just to wrap up this show, I think Raw this year has actually been largely pretty good. Um one thing missed in amongst the bad paper views was that at times before Nitro came along they were doing really good T V numbers for name matches, you know, Diesel and, and Bam Bam, Undertaker and Jeff Jarrett guys that you might think, well, are people that interested? Apparently they were. Um and yeah, I, I think the two big policies are probably where they end the year miraculously is in quite a strong position from a, from a, on TV standpoint. And I agree with Chris. Go all in on Shawn Michaels. Don't look back. Don't pass go. Don't collect £200. Don't collect $200. And see where you are at the end of 1996. It's very hard to imagine you won't be in a better position than you are now. And that will wrap up this part of the show. We've got uh, ECW to come next, but a very quick wrap up. A thanks to Chris White. Thanks very much, Bob. Uh, Chris, uh, quickly promote your Twitter account and your podcast.
6: Yep, I'm on Twitter at ChrisWhite14. I also have a modern day wrestling podcast looking at WWE and NXT. If you're into that, you can find that on Twitter at Podplex City. It's also on iTunes.
7: And Craig Wilson? Uh, yeah, you can find my musings about uh, wrestling at uh, ringthedambell.wordpress.com and from there you'll see all links to Facebook, Twitter, yada yada.
8: Well, I guess the last you left Cactus Jack, you described it as a catatonic state. And certainly there's been a lot of questions for my actions. And I understand because you never met Uncle Willie. And at this point, Tommy Dreamer, I can sense you looking at my arm. Wonder what happened to Cactus Jack. And yes, there's been rumors circulating around. And well, Tommy, this is what happened to Cactus Jack this is what happened and this is the result but it's really not that big a deal because the doctors have assured me that on second degree burns there will be some discoloration for some time but really no permanent scarring which is more than I can say for my opponent Terry Funk who wheezed his way out in an ambulance screaming and crying like a little baby with his third degree burns and the irony did not escape me that the man who stepped into the ECW arena with the branding iron and sizzled his name on my chest is the one who walked away with the permanent scars. And that one match signified to me that I was in Japan the king of the death match, which I guess in ECW would make me the king of the hardcores. because my Uncle Willie knew all about Japan. You see, Tommy Dreamer, you never met my Uncle Willie. Neither did I, because he's been dead for 50 years. But I always felt like I knew him because there was a big picture of my Uncle Willie at 18 years old, ready to save the world, hanging up in the hallway of my home in East Setauket. And every day I'd see my dad almost get down and genuflect in front of that picture. Almost like you used to do in front of my picture, Tommy Dreamer. Because Uncle Willie was a hero. You see, Uncle Willie was on the boat that brought the bomb over to Japan to save the day for the good guys. Now, what happened to that boat after it delivered the bomb is a well-known story. And although they never saw or found Uncle Willie's body... We've all got a pretty good idea of what happened. But we rest assured that my Uncle Willie died a hero. That is until I made my way to Japan to Hiroshima and saw generations later walking in the peace park the pictures of people with flesh burning down their arms, the flesh hanging off their bones, Let's hear it for the bombing of innocent children. USA! USA! Let's hear it for the bombing of helpless women! Willie! Willie! You see, all my life I saw people whose idea of suffering was to kick back on that last six-pack until the next welfare check came in. And they say we bombed those snip bastards! They were human beings! You sons of bitches! ...and you killed them. So I went back to my dad and I said, Dad, I hope that Uncle Willie died a painful death. I hope they ate him good. I hope they swallowed his spine if he even had one. That baby killer! And for the first time since the infamous 1968 Parsonage Road... my dad hit me and he said take a look at yourself son take a look at the scars take a look at the burns and take a look at the missing body parts and find out that the same thing that makes those Japanese wrestlers so tough is the same reason that we had to sacrifice 130,000 human lives because they keep going and going and going. And the only way to save millions of more lives was by a show of force. And I said, Dad, by whose authority do you believe in the following words you just spoke? And he said, the government of the United States. The government of the United States... And I believed his words. And I looked at that dollar bill and saw that the father of our country was a slave-holding, wig-wearing, wooden-tooth-wearing bastard. And so it's very simple, Tommy Dreamer. If we can sacrifice 130,000 human lives... ...in the goal of a higher purpose... ...then really the DDT of your head on the mat... ...is pretty damn insignificant news... ...and if you can trust the government... ...that mutilates babies... ...then I ought to get the benefit of the doubt... ...because I... ...and Raven... ...have a higher purpose... ...and that thought... Brings me
0: peace. Bye bye.
1: And we come back for the third and final chunk of uh, of this month's show. I'm being joined by Chris Lacey. Chris, hello. How you do Bob? Um, ECW review. Uh, there's no different places we can start. I think we'll start with uh, the ECW title picture. Um, it's not always something that ECW put first, but we're going to put it first here. Uh, we touched on this topic a little bit in Volume 3, because obviously we had the title change, and we were talking about kind of the mechanics around that. Um, but, but, Chris, we, we've had... Uh, Shane Douglas held the title for the first four months of the year, dropped it to Sandman before eventually leaving for the WWF. Sandman held the title right through, I think, until September, October time, dropped it to Mikey Whitwreck. Uh And then we have this kind of triangle feud with Whitwreck, Austin, and Sandman, and it ended this month with um, Sandman pinning Steve Austin in a triangle match that also included uh, Mikey Whitwreck to win back the ECW title. Um, Chris, it's kind of more of the same from '94. '94, the as good as Douglas was as champion, he was he wasn't good because he was the champion. He was good because he was the focal point at uh, promo wise. Um, the ECW title continues to lack that pinnacle that you would think a promotion like ECW would would hold their title at the the forefront of everything. It's just not like that.
9: Yeah, um I know last year, obviously Shane was normally either the main event or at least co-main event at all the shows, you know, he, it was at the top end. Um
1: And often they, they bring in, they bring in Ron Simmons and it's like, we don't have enough time to build a program for Ron Simmons, we'll stick him with, with Douglas. Like that was kind yeah. of his role. But like he, he faced Marty Jannetty as well. Weird matches like that.
9: But it, it felt important. You know, as is they were bringing just guys in for that um this year, it's been more of the case of yeah everything else is more important. We've got better rivalries, we've got better stories going on. Oh, fuck, we've got a champion, let's do something with him quickly um The first couple of months, we had Shane as champ, and he didn't really do a great deal in those couple of months. You know, there was a little bit of to and froing with Sandman Sandman finally beat him. Shane left. And then we had that six months or so of Shane as as Sandman as champion, where at times he wasn't even the important part of the match that he was in. See the Gangster's Paradise cage match where the uh, New Jack and Two Gold Scorpio and the Public Enemy were more the story of focal point than the fact of, Oh, look, our world champion is here. And that's pretty much was the story of his run as champion was everything else is far more important. And there's Sandman as the champion. Obviously we, we've sort of looked into when Mikey took the title and we were like, Oh yeah, we'd like to see what they're going to do with him as the underdog champion. How are they gonna play it? Are they gonna you know get him to fluke wins? you know is he is he gonna get that sort of magic roll up out of nowhere and then we end the year back with Sam Manners champion and us going,, let's hope it's not another six months of what we had earlier in the year,
1: yeah, um, yeah, hard to disagree really with any of that. It's just. You, you, Sandman felt like a short-term solution when Douglas dropped the title to him. It felt like I'll give it to Sandman, and then it gives us. It, it kind of felt like there were unlimited options. It felt like that anyone you always could have had like a debutante come in and and present it as a squash match, and you could have had him win and win the title out of nowhere. You know that kind of thing. Like Sandman was the kind of guy who you could have shunted up or down the line and really put him with anyone. Um, But it just never turned out that way. And and they did a really good job with Mikey Wittreck. We, we we should touch on that in terms of, of his ride. I don't know whether... I, I don't know whether... <clears throat> they did a really good job building up Mikey, but I don't know whether they ever got into the point where he felt like a champion. They got into the point where it felt like he could convincingly beat Sandman. So I suppose to a point job done in that Sandman was probably one of the only guys that could have gone up against Mikey, and Mikey would have been a believable guy for beating him. Fair enough. Um, but Chris, you can't ever fight the feeling that if you're someone who's trying out ECW, if, if the title is the showpiece, and, and not that it's presented like that, but if you, if you turned in, you would, your, your main, your mind would think the champion's the main guy. And yet you're watching Sandman, who has, for every positive, has about five or six limitations and you're watching Mikey Whitbrack who has a great story but isn't a great performer mm. and and you compare all that and on the flip side we've got Guerrero, Malenko, Benoit, Mysterio, Psychosis we've got all these entertaining guys I understand why they're not champion I, I guess my point is more they I, th- I feel like they should have interacted with these guys more it's not why is why is Dean Malenko facing Eddie Guerrero 30 times? Why aren't one of them challenging for the title? Because they clearly dis- they clearly have the ability to, and that's something it's difficult to get over.
9: Yeah, the title has, as clearly said, it's been really poorly booked to the point where, as I said earlier, even in a match that Sandman in, he's the least important part of it. Um, to look at WWF, or you look at WCW, there is a big character or at least a very recognizable character as their world champion you've had diesel pretty much all year in the wwf you've had hogan in wcw you know hogan was the face of wrestling in the 80s and is worldwide known diesel may not be known by the general masses but you look at him he looks like a wrestler and he looks like someone that could be a champion because he is seven foot tall and looks impro imposing. Sandman looks like any guy that's just wandered off a building site. Mikey Whitbreck the same, looks like anyone coming out of a school. You know, they, he's not imposing. He doesn't have the character. He's not you know this big flamboyant thing that's been a problem for ecw as you say if you were to say let's look at who's the champion who's the face of this company you wouldn't put the champion as the face of the company
1: and and a funny thing as well i suppose just before we move on is that i kind of get the feeling that actually like mikey versus sandman would have been a really good feud without the title like sandman disrespects mikey and then the story is can mikey overcome this big bully like that could have been fun um but i don't know Uh, the 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 pivot to all this and the kind of the bit i i I led into was that ecw if if you want to draw a thin strip on every kind of live event over that middle match over the match kind of fall from the top middle of the night between some of the best Wrestlers in the world in 1995. Chris, it's been sensational. I mean, be it, be it Benoit and Al Snow from February, be it Eddie Guerrero and Dean Malenko in the middle, be it, uh, be it Rey Mysterio and Psychosis. Every time, yeah, I mean, Al Snow buggered off after that one match. Every time they've lost part of that puzzle, Paul Heyman has gone into that Rolodex, he's gone into that context book, and he's pulled something out of the hat. And, as much as we might be critical for the fact that it's, it almost kind of has, has not really stitched in with story, I think we can say we understand why, because these guys have flown in, they've got Jap- Japan commitments and other things. The wrestling between these guys has been phenomenal.
9: The, it's the thing we've said all the way through since we started doing the ECW reviews. You know, you have to take a look at the words that this company is called it's extreme and there's wrestling and both of those words work in this situation we've had extreme matches where you get all the weapons and you get extremely good wrestling um it's been a pretty staple definitely this year but even going into last year where we had good wrestling matches but this year has been phenomenal you know I'm, I'm looking at the end of year awards and sort of trying to justify not having a top 10 of all just ECW matches and going that I could fill this with 20 matches and it would all be ECW. Um, there has been every aspect of wrestling used this year. We've had strong style. We've had high flying technical wrestling. We've had. An amazing lucha libre coming in you know there is just so much in this melting pot put together and showcased for the world to see you know as you said so many of these people have now left and gone on to other things and we are getting others coming in we've had Benoit was there. He's now in WCW. Malenko and Guerrero are now in WCW. Al Snow's now in WWF. What does Heyman do? Contacts Conan and brings in Conan, Rey Mysterio, La Parker and Psychosis and is now bringing Lucha to the widespread in America. I can imagine probably Mysterio and Psychosis getting signed up and I have full faith in Heyman that he will find someone else from somewhere else, maybe it be Japan, maybe it be Europe, to bring in more of the wrestling. And if this year's anything to go by and the the hit rate he's had this year, if he can pull it off again next year, I will be more than happy to watch ECW all year again.
1: Yeah. Um you know, it's been incredible just to watch you know and, and you know we're, we're going to touch on a bit later on how kind of ECW fits in with with the WF and WCW but and and I mentioned this to a point where we talk talking about Austin on on, on volume three is that ECW is kind of the doorway in terms of it's it's I wouldn't I wouldn't well yeah I, I think you know given where you know non-national non-nationwide wrestling is in America right now ECW probably is the bridge between just random independents and local promotions because there aren't many medium sized promotions left. Um, you know, and so ECW is the place that's big enough to attract these guys on one night deals um, before they get into the big time. So again, I think one role ECW could play more and more of is it's just this kind of this gatekeeper to the to the to the main to the big leagues if you like. And it's been fantastic. Ben Why and R Snow was a True terrific match real fast paced like you know real strong style, really enjoyable, uh you know Benoit was knocking around for a while with Malenko and Ropp, they faced each other a lot, and then they debuted Malenko and Guerrero, and it's like, wow, this is This is something we haven't seen before on this kind of stage, and they had that kind of stitch throughout the summer. Um, I was a a little bit critical about how they booked it at times. You know, it kind of felt like a cop-out that they were always kind of tying it up and you know even even at the end they even with the the two out of three falls match at the finish they had to you know really leave it razor sharp in terms of putting one over the other which i guess is fair enough it it kind of took the edge off it a bit for me but those two move on to wcw and they're you know they're doing great along with benoit and then he finds mysterio and, and psychosis a different style i think that's that's the really important thing to do here is that to emphasize is that while we, while we group it all as great wrestling, it's different styles, like Benoit and Al Snow was this electric pace. Yeah, real kind of strong style match. Guerrero-Milenko was more technical. It was more submission-based. It was more hold and counter-hold. It was move and counter-move. As they say, the whole feud was booked on the fact that they didn't want really get one over more than the other. As much as that was a great strength, it was almost a weakness to a point. And then we pivot into this Lucha style, which is this just ridiculously high-flying, this ridiculously fast style. It's as much as we group it together, it's, it's all so different. It's great to watch. I mean, I don't know, you know, if, if Mysterio and Psychosis end up being signed by WWF, I don't know where Paul Heyman goes next, but you know, let's, let's see how deep his contact book, uh, is. Um, yeah, we are on topic, Chris. I'll, I'll, I'll shut this up the discussion list. Um, ECW in the landscape uh, between WWF and WCW, you know, I don't need to introduce anyone to the idea that these these are two companies that are right now involved in something, you know, quite big in terms of what's going on, on Monday nights. And WCW came along and, you know, hoovered up a lot of. I don't want to call them ECW name guys, but guys that were being featured a lot by ECW. WWF are now talking to Austin. They signed Douglas. They misused Douglas. Um, they're about to sign Cactus Jack. We think uh, Public Enemy are going to WCW. Um, as, to Chris, as much as I call them the gatekeeper, maybe, to the big two, it's going to become more and more difficult because we look at someone like Douglas, who probably stayed in ECW about six months too long. um As pressure mounts and as the two big companies one start looking to ECW to supply them with new talent, but also start looking to ECW and think, Christ, we better sign this guy before the opposition does. Chris, I think it's going to go harder and harder for for ECW to be able to tell stories over a longer and longer period in that they're not they're not got anyone on the contract. They can't pay people these big wages. It's it's gonna become more and more of a struggle. I think with
9: ecw there will be some people that may not jump on the basis of just money there may be some guys that loyalties will be there that they would rather see out what they're doing before they jump straight away whether you know that's a lot of them who knows but with as you're saying, with how these guys, some of them get used really well, you look at Amalinko, you look at Guerrero, they're getting put in not main event stories, but they're always on the card you know they they're, they're, getting they're used. on
1: they're on nationwide television in, yeah, and not being horrendously misused,
9: yeah, you know, so there is that potential that it can work well, obviously, as you said, Douglas. That one didn't work, but the thing is, there's always going to be hits and misses on all these sort of things. Um, but as I said in Volume 3, if Heyman could use that as a way to get guys to sign, get the best new young talent is, you can come and work for me, I will get you that first level of exposure that may mean you end up in WWF or WCW, that may be enough to get more guys in.
1: Yeah. Um. Yeah. Um, you know, just just to really, love, yeah, I, I think it's going to be, you know, we'll, we'll talk about 1996 in a bit. It's going to be interesting to see how they do that, um, whether they start looking at contracts, if they can expand to the point where they can, you know, not long-term deals, but things that can, uh, yeah, we're, t- we're talking about pay-per-view, potentially, in 1996. Things that can at least guarantee guys are going to be around for three months so they can start telling some longer-term stories. I guess we'll, we'll wait and see on that. Um, I don't know how we've got 20 minutes into a, a chat about ECW in 1995 and not mention the name Cactus Jack, um, but but we, we are here now. Um, Chris, I mean, you, you've done it on your show in terms of... Um, Dusty Rhodes and and, and Rick Flair. I, I I I don't I don't think I would say that Cactus Jack was necessarily better than those two at their pomp. But this run of promos, that that's the only kind of level of stuff that in my mind sticks out. I don't know that many other people have hit the kind of heights that he's hit so consistently and so frequently. I mean, every month, every couple of weeks, Cactus Jack is cutting a great promo, a great promo, a great promo. He's been phenomenal.
9: It's, it's not just the ratio that he hits them out. It's the fact that they go everywhere with these promos. You've got him doing promos of telling Tommy Dreamer, don't take violence. Don't get hurt. Take the money and go and be a puppet for Bischoff. You've got him doing promos about don't hit my kid. How dare you want to cane my, my child. And then you get that promo at the end of the year where he did the, the hardcore holidays. Where did that come from? Where he's doing a promo about how, you know, spending time with his kids is extreme and, you know, chanting ECW while on what could only be described as a very tiny roller uh, Ferris wheel where they're sitting in a helicopter with his kid. And this came out of the same mouth as at times has had promos that are at a level of hate and vigour and...
1: Just, just I think space. my, my favourite pro of his was the Uncle Eric one about the, you know, going to uh, Nagasaki and dropping the bombs. Um, that was fantastic. Just, you know, you talk about... He's a storyteller. He's not just cutting promos. He's telling stories in three, four and five minute chunks and the bit with, you know, how he managed to get that far off on a tangent about going to war... You know, dropping the ball in Nagasaki and brought it back round to a wrestling-related environment. I, I think that's probably I'm going to play a promo before each of these. I say that you'll have heard them. I haven't edited it yet, but you'll you'll probably I'll pick a Cactus Jack promo that may well have been the one I've gone with, and just to stitch a story like that, just so good. And you know, and and, and Chris as well. I mean, there's there's other guys who uh you know guys like Austin, you know, guys like you know, Barry Dudley. To appoint Douglas early on in the year, there was some really good stuff with Douglas in the first third of the year too. Paul Heyman, not these cutting many promos these days. Bill Alfonso, um, you know they ECW give guys time to talk and where where required, and they are at times shining. We'll
9: we'll, we'll sort of run through them in a sort of order quickly. You've got Austin, who, as I said. In Volume Three, so I'm sort of repeating myself a bit. Um, what he has come out with during this run is a man bearing his soul. He he is Lane Staley of Allison Chains. He's Kurt Cobain. He is raw. It is real. It's it's from the heart and soul. You look in his eyes as he's saying these words and they could be the biggest lies ever but the way that he says them and the way that you see into his eyes when he's doing it you believe every single thing that he says and you have to be dead inside not to feel something with those and yes he was only there three months but in that three months, I learned more and felt more about for this guy than I did in the whole of that WCW run. You know, the five years of anger and misuse that he had, you, you felt it. And he's another one, like Cactus, that started with the comedy one where he was the Hulk Hogan. He did the super serious one where he broke out the fact that Dusty was saying, we've got this to do, but it's not just for you. It's for somebody else. Maybe next time. And you, you felt the, the disdain that he had for the fact that he was always getting looked over and everything that he said and all those promos, because the way that he, he has these expressive eyes, you believed it. Bubba has been a revelation this last couple of months as well. Um, as if you've been listening to us do ECW for a while, ECW fans are a vicious, angry bunch that don't take things lightly. They're very much a very serious thing.
1: That, and, that They can see through bullshit a mile away.
9: Yeah, but... Bubba has absolutely won them their hearts over. You know, they are cheering every time he comes out. He gets charts The minute they see him, they're, the crowd are there chanting, Bubba, 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 Well, they're
1: because... chanting, what's your name? What's your name?
9: Because they want him to start talking because they love it so much. Obviously, Raven, someone you missed off your list, he's had another...
1: Well, I, I missed him off for a very good reason, Chris. We're going we're to pivot now into the final bit of this bit, and, y- and you can you can jump back in on that point in a sec. The the reason he wasn't in that list was because, uh, we, you know, I talk about not being able to get through you know 20, 20 minutes and not talk about Cactus Jack. We cannot possibly talk about 1995 ECW and not talk about Raven against Tommy Dreamer. So So off you go.
9: This has been the feud of the year this is a feud that at times has been dormant and you don't see it for a month or two and then you'll get like we had at the beginning of the year that cage match where raven gets handcuffed to the cage and beaten by tommy you then get raven using his disciples as he calls them stevie richards the eliminate or the pit bulls, all as a way to have other people beat on tommy without him having to do anything and it's even still carrying on till to now you know the last big show of the year was tommy and funk Against Cactus Jack, who has turned on Tommy Dreamer, who he was his former friend and Raven, and it's it's a feud that just keeps giving and giving and giving. And at some point, I think you have to do this feud with the title. Maybe that's where we go next year when we decide that we don't want Sandman to be champion anymore. We put it on Raven, and Tommy finally gets that win and that pin on Raven and he becomes the champion but this feud for a feud to last all year and not get stale at any point not be repetitive at any point and the promos that come out between the two of them digging up ancient history you've had Beulah be mentioned you've had the whole them being at camp as kids and that's where this all started and it it's just one of those that amazingly just keeps giving
1: yeah um I, you know in terms of a program that that just seemed to suck everything into its vortex it was fascinating you know this this started out as you know Raven Richards and Dreamer and, and you you know, it, the, the list of names that have regularly appeared on ECW TV that haven't touched this program is a lot smaller than the list of names that have appeared on ECW TV this year and have. There's just been so many different parts, so many different people. The Heavenly Bodies, you know, the, the Broad Street Bullies, if you want to go back far enough. Luna Vachon. Um, you know, all of these different names and many more besides, you know, you talk about Beulah and things like that. All of these different things that uh just out there um and it's been great you know i uh i I, whether the match quality that's around it has been very good i don't know i think it's it's it this is more for the the walking brawl fans of ecw i'm i'm mixed i'm in the middle on that kind of thing so i i guess we'll see um but i think it's it's been great as as I said last as I said a couple of months ago. If ECW's pay-per-view is in six months' time, its first show, that would be where I would do the moment we dream of pinning Raven. If it's in years' time, that'll be the moment because it's gone so long, I think you can you can stretch it out. You can almost feud them with other guys and just keep having them butt heads every now and then, just a reminder, yeah, you know, we're we're gonna come back to this. Um and yeah, really, really good. Uh finally, Chris uh, prospects for 1996 what, what, what do you think about ECW what, where are they at now and where do you think they can go
9: I think that the future is bright for ECW I believe if this year has proved anything they have shown that you don't need to throw lavish amounts of money at stuff to be the best at what you're doing obviously we've lost a lot of the best workers that ECW have had this year um starting the year they're losing the public enemy who are one of the the bigger characters to say of of the of the company there's the rumors that cactus isn't going to be about for much longer as well so it is what can pull do with finding more guys where is he going to source them from but I have faith that Paul will be able to get more new guys in and guys that can replace all that go and the way the ECW builds people and characters and stories if as long as they've got the talent and can sort of you know prove to the fans that they're, as you say the the fans see through bullshit, they can make more of their own. And again, they could be awesome. You know, I think if they want to get on pay per view, they they can't conform too much. You know, there might have to be a little bit of conforming of sort of not being super violent and the fire and things like that because you know that's something obviously we haven't touched on in the review of the year but the fire in the arena is a little bit of an area where we don't want more of that because the bigger they get the more people that would see that sort of thing that's going to bring more eyes onto anything that they do wrong and people jumping on it Um but I don't know what you think with for next year but if they can get the talent in it could be a bright year just get the title of sandman as soon as possible
1: yeah um i think that ecw is uh, a conveyor belt if you like in the sense that paul Heyman, i think undoubtedly as we've shown in the last couple of years has a very very good mind i think it's easier to a degree writing television like this than it would be, say, writing for the WWF or WCW. One, because you're much more free of constraints. Two, because you um, have fewer egos to deal with. You know, like Hulk Hogan aren't we knocking around at ECW and there's more togetherness. And three, because you're writing for a much narrower audience. So I think it's, you know, and, and, and this may not last forever and it's not to undercut Paul Heyman's creative mind but to a point, I think if providing Paul Haven can continue coming up with good or better ideas, guys will get over because it's you know what you you can expect from this kind of crowd. you know what works and to a degree you know what doesn't um, so I think to a point it 's less about. The final two thirds of that conveyor but Once you can get a guy started, I think they'll get over. Most guys do, provided you give them the chance to shine. Heyman's smart enough to know what makes somebody work, and also he's working on a program where they don't have to overexpose anyone. We talk about Sabu, you know, in, in WCW, alright, not that he did, but if Sabu had been around for any length of time, it's, He's the kind of guy that would have ended up probably starting to talk, which would have been a mistake. The one thing Heyman can do, he can protect guys, he can, you know, accentuate the positives, than the negatives, that, that thing. Um, and I think it's, it's just about how long can Paul Heyman keep coming up with great ideas, or even good ideas. Once he can do that, the rest of it will take care of itself. Guys are gonna leave out the top end. This is just a fact of where ECW are at now in the wrestling landscape. Can he keep coming up with Bubba Ray Dudley? Can he keep coming up with, you know, Raven? Can he keep coming up with God, name, Mikey Whitrack? Names like this. Names that, you know, Raven joined as Johnny Polo. A guy that had knocked around, I think, WCW as well as WWF and hadn't really gone anywhere.
9: Yeah, he was the Scotty the Body in WCW That's before right. he went as Johnny Polo.
1: Yeah, like, knocked around in those two companies and did nothing, and Heyman took him and gave him this this carte blanche to create something very, very different, and it's gone over. Like, I think Heyman's more willing to give guys a blank slate to do what they want, so, you know, it's not going to work for everybody, but I think... Yeah, provided he has a decent enough eye for talent, guys will get over there. That's that's much less of a problem than it would be on the national stage because your audience is so much smaller. It's just how much, how long can he keep doing that? Because guys will come out the top. He'll continue to, be able to create new ones, but if he loses that ability, if the talent pool dries up, or if his creative mind starts to wane, which over time you would suspect is... It's almost certain to happen. If he starts to lose that creative edge, I think the the castle will start to break. Um, but that being said, he's not shown any signs of that yet. I think prospects in 1996 are good. I think they need to put more focus on the title. I think Raven, as you suggested, is probably a very good suggestion for that. Uh, my other shout will be Taz. Uh, I'm really, really looking forward to Taz and Bill Alfonso where this goes. Because I, I said it for a few shows now. They finally got someone they can hate, and that was probably truly hate. That was probably the one thing they'd been missing in this last couple of years. Like the the fans got pissed off with Douglas at the end, but Douglas, from winning the title through until February of this year, was the you know anti-establishment guy that everyone loved because he represented their views. Like, getting someone over as a bad guy, like Funk and Douglas were, were feuding at the beginning of 94, and the fans respected them both. Sabu was, in theory, playing this heel, because he was Hannibal Lecter, but because he wrested this amazing style He got over as a face as well. There weren't ever really any true heels. ECW got a heel now. Let's see where they go with it. Anyway, that will wrap up... Um, this part of the review and this month's show. This is where we we'll record this bit first. Uh, but Chris, uh, thank you very much for joining me, uh, in 30 seconds, uh, talk to us about your WCW podcast.
9: Super brawls, as we all have probably heard multiple times now. Um, we have doing nine, the end of 1990 for the end of this year. Um, you can find it on iTunes, uh, search for super brawls and we're on Twitter, search super brawls and, uh, as we all know, what joy we have to come with WCW.
1: Indeed. And, and you are on Twitter personally, Chris? lacy555666 excellent well thank you to all the other guests that have joined us this evening uh, you can find me on twitter at boybamber you can find the show on twitter at wrestling20yrs facebook.com that's wrestling20yrs wrestling20yrs.com uh, for blogs, all the other podcasts uh, RSS feed, iTunes email subscription, all of that stuff Uh this is the end of volume 5 volume 6 is going to be our there, I'm very, very... We've actually got a couple of weeks before we take this, but I'm very, very interested to hear what we think about the end of year uh, awards so we're going to just discuss that in volume 6 volume 1 is WCW looking at Star Cave volume 2 is the WWF looking at in your house 5 volume 3 is ECW volume 4 is UFC we touch a little bit on ECW in the uh, USC section of the show talking about USC's problems on pay-per-view and how ECW might end up incurring those problems uh, in future volume 5 to show you've just Listen to is the end of year. Review in volume six is your awards. I've been Bob Bamber. This has been volume five of the Wrestling Twenty Years Ago podcast and until next time Goodbye.